0: All right, it is good to be gathering this morning. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love that after the service. My name is Adam, I'm the pastor here, but you know, as a church family, we got a whole bunch of uh, leaders you gotta get to know, different pastors, different elders on staff and all that. As a church, we've been working through this book called First Thessalonians. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in, you guessed it, Thessalonians and in Thessalonica, actually, they were the Thessalonians. And so, as we are studying this now, we are at the very end of chapter two. Unlike the previous weeks in which we looked at substantial sections, today we look at a smaller section, but there is a lot here, and so I'm gonna jump into it, and you can follow along. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 17. And so Paul writes this to the Thessalonians, he says, "'But since we were torn away from you, brothers, "'for a short time, in person, not in heart, "'we endeavored the more eagerly "'and with great desire to see you face to face, "'because we wanted to come to you, "'I, Paul, again and again. "'But Satan hindered us. "'For what is our hope and joy or crown of boasting "'before our Lord at his coming? "'Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. All right, that's the passage we're gonna study this morning. There is a phrase used at the very end here that I wanna mention before we get into the bulk of our study this morning. And this last statement really drives me in ministry and I think many other pastors and many other Christian leaders. My aim is to present this church to the Lord at his return or when I get there, I guess, if he hasn't returned yet, and to present this church as one that has faithfully known him and pursued him and worshiped him. In fact, for even me as a a pastor in this town, it is my heart for this community, for multiple churches, to be strengthened and healthy in ways that are honoring to the Lord, that even if he were to return today, we collectively, as the saints, are able to see him, and for the pastors and church leaders to say, we have faithfully cared for and shepherded the church to the chief shepherd. And so there's that language here that Paul uses. Now, I, I think that this, uh, this, this concept applies for us. There is, a, there is a good application here for all of us, and it's this. The Lord entrusts us to things, and we must steward them well. In my case, this church family, but for all of us in one way or another, uh, it could be your family, you know, your children that the Lord has entrusted to you. Are you raising them in a way that's honoring to the Lord, and then you can present them to the Lord at his return? Maybe it's your work or your workplace, however those dynamics might be. Are you functioning in a way that's honoring to the Lord as a faithful caretaker. Matthew 13 describes a little bit of what it's like for the owner of the house to return and has he found the workers of the house faithful? So what will you present to Jesus at his return? Children, workplace, uh, using your spiritual gifts for the kingdom. One day we stand before the righteous judge and we present to him our works done for his glory and for his work Everything else is gonna burn up. 1 Corinthians 13, or three, verse 13 to 15. It says this, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has been, if, if what he, or sorry, if what has been built survives, the building, uh, builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. All right, so, you know, that that last phrase there should challenge us when it comes to being faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us in all these areas of life. Let us fulfill Colossians 3, 23. It says, whatever I do, whether I eat or whether I drink, whatever I do, I do unto the glory of the Lord. I do for his work and his glory. Now, with that said, there is one phrase here in, these, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2 that I read that just is striking. And I wanna fo- focus on that, really dive into that. And it is that phrase in verse 18 where it says, Satan hindered me. Some translations say Satan prevented us or blocked our way or obstructed us or thwarted us or would not let us. So let me reread this passage. I'm gonna read it in the New Living Translation, a different translation, just to help you re- hear it from another perspective. And when we get to that, just you know, focus in on that a little bit. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Okay, so that phrase, Satan prevented us. At least the three different questions I want to answer for us this morning. These questions are this How was Paul blocked? Secondly, are you a threat to be thwarted? And lastly, what should I do when Satan is hindering me? Okay, so this first question, how was Paul blocked? How was it that the Apostle Paul, of all people, was blocked by Satan? Don't you think that when he's like, all right, I'm gonna go to Thessalonica. Oh, all right, I'm hitting some, hitting some hindrances, hitting some obstacles here from the enemy. Let me just pray through this. Kick him down and keep going. This is Paul, this is what he did. He was, he was a champion in this area. He's like a New Testament Elijah. He could take care of this. Don't you think He prayed. While he's praying, oh, the hindrance is still there. Hey, maybe he's like, Are you, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna fast for my food today. We're gonna take this a little more seriously, hitting a little resistance here. So we can imagine that here he, he fasts and he next day he prays, he's hitting, hitting the same hindrance, the same obstacle. I don't know if you've ever been there where you're like praying and you're like, no, okay, I'm gonna take prayer a little more seriously here. All right, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna set an alarm to pray. I'm gonna invite other people to pray Paul is hitting hindrance. If there's anyone who could pray through that, I would imagine it's Paul. And yet, he says he's hitting this kind of uh, obstacle. And he specifically names it as Satan as opposed to just, you know, the weather was bad or uh, I got sick. He's no Satan prevented. We don't know in what way, but this happened. God allowed Satan to hinder the plan. Now, the key word in the statement I just said is Allowed. There is no match between God and Satan. We tend to think that if Jesus and Satan were arm wrestling that it would be close. But let us just remind ourselves who sits on the throne and if Satan's sitting there with an arm wrestle like table ready to go, Jesus could walk in and just like you know, sniff his nose and Satan gets blown out of the, out of the area. So like, that's not, it's not like a one-to-one competition, it's not tough, but we tend to think of it that way a little bit. So if you want to kind of read what's happening here, maybe from a, from a, a theological description, I would say it's, it's as if God's preferred will is that Paul does go to see him. You know, that it's, it is good. It's within Paul's heart. Yes, yeah, let's go. But God also permitted the enemy to prevent Paul for purposes unknown to us and perhaps unknown to Paul Now, a similar scenario happened in the book of Job where our adversary went to God and requested to torture a man named Job. Listen to these verses here. I'm gonna read several selections from chapter one in the book of Job. Verse one says, in the land of Uz, right, not Oz, which is just fascinating, the similarity. It says, there lived a man whose name was Job. Not job. There's all sorts of <laughs> issues there, <laughs> English readers. All right, it keeps going. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Friends, if there's anyone that we wanna try to model after, shoot for Job and go after that kind of characteristic. Are you one who is blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil? That we, it would do well for us all to have that described for us on our obituary one day. Well, verse six, if you skip down in chapter one, it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. He's essentially saying, Well, of course he's upright and blameless and worships you with his whole heart. His life's easy. you got a hedge of protection around him. Things are flourishing. His kid's like, you know, they're doing great. You know, that kind of stuff. So verse 11 the statement is, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to his face. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. All right? Again, the Lord bestowed that and gave that just kind of in this temporary scenario here. And then the phrase continues, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went up from the presence of the Lord. Now if you skip down to verse 20, this is after just the destruction and... Uh, chaos and death that occurred in Job's family. It says this, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I read that last verse on purpose because... I think sometimes we feel as though we can't be frustrated or angry or grieving the loss or disappointment that we may experience, but you can in a way that is healthy and not sinning. It's honesty before the Lord. So scripture clearly teaches that the enemy is subservient to God. This is one of those passages out of Job chapter one, but uh, we also see that there are times God permits the enemy to wreak havoc on our lives or to obstruct us. In our lives, you'll notice there are three primary influences that may be working against a life, I'll call it, filled by the spirit. What are these three negative influences? Well, you'd have your rebellious flesh and this broken world and then Satan himself along with the demons. So when Satan and his enemies, right, his, his guys, not his and our enemies, but his demons, when they obstruct us, we tend to know um, uh, that God has allowed this to happen, though we might not know why he has allowed it. Perhaps it feels like our prayers are disappearing into a black hole, but in those moments, I encourage you to remember that God is doing something else and we need to trust him in that moment. Proverbs 3, 5, it's a famous proverb, but we forget it so easily in the midst of a trial. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So, how is it that uh, Paul was obstructed? Well, simply put, God allowed it to happen for his purposes, for the growth and the direction of the early church. We're not totally sure all the implications, but Paul really wanted to go see the Thessalonians and he wasn't allowed to. And uh, I think all of us can relate to that in one way or another, often in far more um, uh, heartbreaking ways of like the enemy working against us. Question two this whole story leads us to this question, are we a threat to be thwarted? I include, in, in, intentionally use that um, alliteration for the tongue tie of it, but are we a threat to be thwarted? Say that over and over again. When was the last time the enemy hindered you? You know, we read this story about the enemy hindering Paul, and we're like, oh, wow, okay. Wow, I guess he hindered. But how about us? I mean, do we even live in a way in which the enemy wants to hinder our work for the Lord? Does he even need to put obstacles in our way? Are you living in such a way that the enemy is aware of of when you wake up in the morning, you know? Does he even care? When you wake up, do the alarm bells go off in the demon headquarters, and they're like, all right, hey, he woke up. Time to get to work. This guy, this woman, they're gonna go do some Work for the Lord, we gotta get in the way. Or are they totally unconcerned because you're just like a waste of oxygen. And I'm like, okay, well, he's not gonna do anything. So I wanna challenge us to be a threat uh, against the enemy's ways. And uh, if you're wondering, well, how, how, I, how can I be this kind of a threat? Well, it begins with prayer. When you wake up in the morning, pray. Pray as soon as your eyes open or if you're like me sometimes my eyes aren't open but my brain's awake. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> pray then too. And that's just a prayer of like, "Oh Lord, why is it morning already?" but an actual an actual prayer. Don't look at your phone, don't look at the news, don't watch a TV show or even listen to a podcast. I want you to pray. If you want to be a threat, use the weapon that God gave you and that is prayer. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10 In verse three, it says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. You I keep that in mind as you're looking at the news here or there. It says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every um, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is why Paul reminds the church to pray in Ephesians 6. It says this in verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right, so when we wake up, let us pray. Not just complaining, but a prayer of offensive attack. A prayer like this, God, I thank you for a new day. I pray for my wife, and I pray for my kids, I pray for my church family, I pray that you fill me with the spirit, I need you, I rely on you, and without you I cannot go throughout my day. Whatever it is, whatever prayer you need to pray, I encourage you to do so. I've been testing this this week a little more intentionally, knowing I'd be preaching this, and it's really set me up well, beyond what I I was realizing I kinda got in the bad habit of how I start my morning. I was like, "How?" Oh, but I started with it going on attack. It's been great. Keep doing it. I encourage you to do the same. Somebody wrote this about prayer: Prayer is not only another weapon, but the greatest of all the weapons, as it infuses the rest of the armor with the power needed to fight the enemy. It is the one thing Paul asks the Ephesians to do for him: pray. And so I'm inspired by the words of James 5 a little bit because I've been doing a personal study on Elijah but also because of what the words actually say. So James 5, the end of verse 16 and then the next few verses, it says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then I love this phrase. This is why I bring this up. It says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Yes, Elijah was a mighty prophet, but as the text says, he was another human like you and I. And we can pray like Elijah because remember, the issue isn't being awesome like Elijah, the issue is praying. Uh, the, 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 the object of our prayer, it is God. The same God that heard Elijah's prayers is the one who hears our prayer. The one who acted upon upon the prayers of Elijah is the same God. And so we have people in Scripture like Moses and Elijah and Daniel and the Apostle Paul. They prayed in their generation, and now it's our turn. Will you wake up each day and be a prayer warrior? I like this quote uh, by a woman named Whitney Hopler. She's a Christian blogger. She wrote this, Understand that there is a war, and you are in it. Like it or not, all of us are caught up in the spiritual war that's taking place between good and evil. If you don't engage in the war, you'll still be affected by it. And you'll be much more vulnerable to, the, to evil than you would be if you decided to fight as God calls you to do. So be active, not passive. Engage in spiritual warfare with the confidence that God's power working through you is greater than any evil working against you. Amen. Okay, so. This is, how we, uh, th- this is how we can be a threat. Now, are you, are you even uh, somebody who the enemy is trying to hinder? Right? This is the question we are asking. And along these lines, I wanna, I wanna give us a, a, sub, a subtopic to address. And that is that, uh, it's what I label, Satan isn't your cool uncle. I don't know how many of you have that guy, that uncle, or aunt, or brother, or sister, that... Uh, we have kids in here, so I, I guess I'm gonna like limit how I word this. But like, they're the ones that just defy a lot of your parents' uh, upbringings for you. And you're like, well, they're just cool. All right, let's talk through this. The reason our culture celebrates Satan is because they're ignorant. And, and I don't say that in a way that is um, talking down. It, literally, Satan is evil and he is cunning and he, he is heinous. And we celebrate him. Because we we're dumb about it, celebrities condemn world dictators, but they do not acknowledge that Satan is behind those acts. A couple years ago, I saw some music video of uh, the the artist having uh, interaction uh, intimately with the devil, and it's like this is stupid. Why would you do that? That you don't know. What it is that you are actually celebrating. The courts, they punish men who uh, go into a classroom and take everyone out, but they do not acknowledge Satan is behind those acts. Instead, they allow for satanic idols to be built up on their courthouses out of a name of uh, free speech. But it's, uh, it crosses the line because they do not know, they're ignorant. Hollywood produces TV shows that make Satan look witty or funny or cool. And I wanna encourage us to stop entertaining the enemy. As uh, I I urged us at our awakening gathering with several churches back in November, I had the chance to speak there. And I shared with everybody, you know, we wouldn't let someone into our house and rob us, but we let the devil come in and steal from us all the time. We just like, we have we we we, we play games with something that is like a bonfire, and sort of the same thing but a different context. Proverbs speaks of this when it's talking about men. Hey, don't have, don't don't uh, chase around with the adulterous woman. You know, like can a man put fire on his lap and not get burned? I don't know if you remember that proverb. Well, very similarly, like can you play around with the enemy and not get burned? No, it's not if you're gonna mess around with that. So he's not cool, he's evil, and we need to stop celebrating him and start punching him in the face. First Peter 5.8 says this, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The adversary is the one who has ruined our lives. He is the one who inspires a father to beat his kid or a mom to talk down to her kid in a way that's just like devastating. He's the one that inspires the men in our, in our community uh, to, um, uh, to take advantage of young girls. Like that's, that's who it is, and we, we wanna like celebrate him. So let's start acting like he's the one that ruins lives and don't let him get the edge on us. Amen. Psalm 144, one to two, it says this, blessed be the Lord. My rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Right, That was written by David, I believe. A modern day version of that would be David Crowder's song, I'm Crushing Snakes. So like, put that one on in the morning if you need to listen to something. And then also just remember the words of the angel of the Lord when he told Gideon this in Judges 6. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I'll extend that to the ladies too, O mighty woman of valor, mighty child or student of valor. The Lord is with us, so let's fight and not just entertain him. All right, this leads to the third question. What should I do when Satan is hindering me? What should we do? I got three steps for you to consider. The first is to pray. And then if you pray and you still experience this hindering, pray more, like literally, quantity, and quality, but quantity. Just pray more and take it seriously. I'll tell you. Oftentimes, when the enemy is hindering me, and I pray, I actually find myself, in kind of a, a twisted way, thankful that there's the hindrance because it deepens my walk with the Lord. I I, like, I, I, you know, spend even more time in prayer and think, oh, this was, I mean, you know, it has a, a dual effect, has a great outcome. And if you're still experiencing uh, the hindrance there, well, then I encourage you to to pray in a way that might include also fasting. So Matthew 17 tells this story. It says this, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move for nothing will be impossible for you. And then some of your Bibles have a little sub, a little, little letter, subscript, superscript, whatever it is, and uh, it tells you at the bottom that some manuscripts also say, Jesus saying in this section, that some of these, some of these situations, uh, they require prayer and fasting. And there's a couple other passages that can uh, support that concept. But that's my encouragement to you. Pray, pray and fast. From something, from food, whatever, and then lastly, like with, with prayer. If you're praying, if you're praying and fasting, and you're just, like you are pleading with the Lord, and there's still no movement in something, and it's not because you, you know it's not because you're doing something dumb, and it's not it's something out of your control, and you're saying I really think this is the adversary. I mean, he is the one making a blockade here, not just a broken scenario in the world. Then invite others to pray with you whether this is your family or your group or the church as a whole, there have been times when we have gathered as an entire congregation to pray for matters. So our first step is to pray if you're experiencing Satan hindering you. Secondly, remember that God's ways are higher than yours. So maybe your are is something and you're saying, I, I'm just not seeing any movement here. What happens? We get super discouraged some of you, you, you were convinced it's going this way, but it ain't happening. <laughs> just, there's just no movement. What do you do in those moments? Well, for, you, you, first of all, you, you'll remember that God's ways are higher than yours. Isaiah 55, eight says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. You know, at the end of the day, we are not omnipotent and, um, or not that, all-knowing. What's that one, omniscient? I think that's omniscient, but I don't know, I don't know. I forget. We we're not. That's not. That's not our role. And so there are times when we we miss it. We can even miss it as a congregation. There are those moments um, that it could happen. So what do you do? Well, you celebrate God's sovereignty and you take comfort in who He is, even when your plans don't work out. You you can trust who He is. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. It's a fantastic proverb that I've said to many people over the years but then when I'm in that moment it's hard to remember it says this many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand so at the end of the day we can take comfort even when the plans don't work out or even if we are experiencing resistance we'll take comfort in knowing that God's got it in control so it's like oh okay well I thought we were going this way and we were all doing this and we are all like super excited about this or we were like confident God was gonna heal in this way or we knew this was the door that had to be opened and then if it doesn't open, you're like, what's going on there? Well, we'll trust the Lord. And then this leads to the third step. So again, the first step is to pray. The second is to remember God's ways. And then lastly, go to plan B, like Paul did in fulfilling his calling. Don't get too discouraged. Don't wallow in self-pity or what could have been, but just Move on, Paul did it. So he sets the example for us. He's like, yeah, I wanted to go there, I can't. Um, So I'm doing the next thing. And if you read Acts, you can see all that he was doing and the different places he was going instead. God had a different purpose. Instead of going back to Thessalonica, he had to go somewhere else. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That gives us great hope to know, hey, even if something doesn't work out the way we thought and we have to go to plan B, these are the Lord's steps. He's the one getting the glory behind it. He is the one establishing it. We're the ones that we can just jump in line with what he wants, and sometimes we miss it on our side. And so this mindset, the challenge here is this requires us to relinquish control. We always wanna know the plan. A bunch of us are, are people who are like planners, and you're thinking like far in advance. Some of you are like 15 and you're talking about retirement. Like, okay, this is insane. Like, okay, just what is is, uh, the next day to hold? What is today to hold? And trusting the Lord and being willing to take Take the uh, the next the next plan the backup plan that is actually the real plan but you know from our perspective it seems backup it's a challenge for us and the thing is we rarely know at least in my experience I love to hear if it's there but in my experience you rarely know the the plan B until it is needed a uh, great example would be those of you you know you're like you've been dating a girl for a long time and you propose and she says no and you're like what I thought we were but okay I guess not I guess it ain't happening and. Uh, well, you probably don't know the, the woman that you'll eventually marry uh, until that moment. I mean, if you have that other woman in your back pocket when you're proposing, that would be kinda like, uh, not that good anyway, right? So like, usually you gotta just take the steps, you walk through it, and if there's, a, if there's an obstacle, you just move on to the next one, and you trust the Lord. He is the one establishing our plans. All right, so uh, there we have it. Um, Matty, you and the team can come on up here. I, I, I'll, let me summarize some of this for us. Sometimes the enemy, he gets in our ways, and he appears to be a foe that is formidable and dangerous and uh, unstoppable. But let us remember that in Christ, we have victory. With God, we can battle victoriously, in fact, one of the verses along these lines is 1 John 3, 8. This last verse we have on the screen says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so we talked through how, how was Paul blocked? Are you a threat to be thwarted? What should I do when Satan is hindering me? And we also challenged ourselves at the very beginning to live a life worthy of presenting to jo- to Jesus with a joyful celebration at his return or when he calls him home so we can show good work. This is a fantastic uh, lesson for all of us here. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray. I'm just gonna let like the Spirit as he wants to to challenge you in those different ways. All right so let's let's pray. Heavenly